Welcome to the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts, please follow, hit the like button, or any subscribes. It really helps us with the algorithms. Santa Cruz Coffee Break is produced by the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum. All opinions are those of the speakers. We invite you to join us on the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at SCGCPF for more fun. Now, let's get on with this installment of Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Well, I'd like to welcome everybody to the 43rd Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Um, and today we have with us Joe Summers, Joe's, Smo um, Sm Joe Smothers. <laughs> I get that all the time. Oh, uh, I, 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 okay, I, yeah, and I can just laugh. I can laugh about it. It's okay. I love it. And um, Joe has uh, graciously given us his time today to share some stories of Doc and Merle and Sam and coming from Merle Fest and what it's like to be a performing folk musician in 2022. So welcome, Joe. Great to have Richard, you. Richard, thank you so much, Ted. So good to see you guys. It's a pleasure to be on. It was a crash course, you know, of, uh, of being around, you know, true legends and nobody, no duo, guitar duo I ever heard ever played like Doc and Merle. Uh, they just, the, the, it was flawless. It was like a machine, like a sewing machine, you know, between Doc's uh, flat pick and Merle's finger picking. And of course they could both flat and finger pick and bottleneck and banjo and mandolin. So just, you know, a wonderful experience for, you know, 24, 25 year old kid. I, uh, I, I, I have to introduce Joe Summers here is I realized that I had not hit the recording button and, and don't feel bad because I did it to oh. happy. I did it to happy too. <laughs> and I guess, I guess I'm just a little bit, um, a, a little bit overwhelmed by it. So I'm really sorry about that folks. And I'm going to bring, bad. I'm going to bring you in right at the, right at the middle of, of Joe's uh, talk about working with doc in the early seventies. Um, yeah. and, and Maryland and coming out of Boone. I love App State, by the way. It's one of my favorite places. I have a couple really good friends there. Mm -hmm. um, I saw him in the late, I want to say it was 1967 at the right. old, old Town School of Folk Music just by himself. And, and Rita Coolidge opened no. for him. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, I, I just was going to go home and burn my guitar. Yeah. At that, even at that, his prowess of the instrument was so unbelievable. It was just <laughs> amazing to watch him. We traveled uh, before we did a uh, tour of Japan in, in 76. Doc had a pretty big fear of flying. So we had a Winnebago we would travel in. So we would take off from Deep Gap, North Carolina, take off to, you know, San Francisco or Seattle or wherever we were playing. And uh, that's, whole lot of time sitting in a Winnebago listening to Doc play talking to him you know just just getting to know each other well so you know what an experience for me yeah uh, uh, unbelievable well, one thing we didn't really ask about was when did you pick up the guitar what led you to pick up the guitar how did you get started in music um, oh, good question yeah uh, I'm a little guy I'm five two kind of like I'm, I'm a little bit taller than Paul Simon and and brother too uh but my mom said well son one of these days you're gonna have to attract a woman and uh, you probably won't do it on a basketball court or a football field uh 
I always had an interest in, you know, for that you'll meet girls if you play the guitar line. That's the only way you play them. I mean, that's the only reason to put your fingers through what you put them through. And when I was teaching, that was, you know, kid, what, why do you want to do this? Well, I want to be a star. No, man, you want the girls. But uh, yeah, she took me down to a pawn shop and got me a, a little tenor guitar, a little Stella tenor. And at the time I was in the Kingston Trio too. So, you know, I had a little four string and graduated to a six string. I never knew how much more complicated a six string was than a, than a four string, but it was. And uh, I think the first song I ever learned, and this was back when you couldn't do, you know, a YouTube search or, you know, anything about tunings or, or right hand patterns anything like that you had the old 33 lp that you put the needle down on pull it back up put it back and the first one that i really got was 500 miles by peter paul and mary just that arpeggio and d of four three two one and i was hooked and from there of course uh, paul simon as a player uh, uh the album uh, sounds of silence had so much incredibly good stuff. And that's where one of the tunes on there, Angie, old, the old thing by Davy Graham from England, kind of led me down that path of who is Davy Graham? And then who is Bert Yonch on Lucky 13, who also recorded uh, Angie? And then, you know, listening to Pentangle, getting, you know, in with uh, uh, Renborn. And I think one of the greatest bassists in the world, Danny Thompson. Terry Cox on drums and Jackie McShee, great singer. So it's just following, you know, it's like a maze. You go down thing, you might find it back then, you know, because there was no Google search. You just kind of really had to do the research if you were that interested in it. And I was, and I still love it. So did you, did you have good record stores and such in the area where you could find all these artists? Or? Oh, Lord, no. I lived in a town of 6,000 people. Uh, I, I remember... You know, you could get things like Simon and Garfunkel, but I remember being in a record store uh, when I was 15. I think I was 15, but it was when Songs of Leonard Cohen came out. And it was back in the old days when they would spin a new record uh, over the system at the record store and you'd have something playing. And I'll never forget, Suzanne was playing. I'd never heard anything that sounded that way. The darkness of the, of the, of the chords that he was playing, the voice, and uh, I hitchhiked back the next day and bought the record. I didn't have enough to buy it that day. But, and from then on, I was hooked with Cohen, you know, the, the, you know, that type of thing. But no, you had to go to Raleigh to get the good records. <laughs> yeah, uh, that would be a good distance, I guess. It's, I don't really know the area around there, but... No, but uh, about 50 miles. Okay, so okay. Back then, people would pick you up when you're hitchhiking. That's where I grew my hair out. And then... You, you weren't picked up much. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you first go out and start playing yourself uh, and performing? I started, well, I didn't start, but three of us started a little trio called the Newport Trio. Yeah, Newport, Rhode Island. And uh, the first gig I ever played, we were playing on top of a boxcar down at the rail station in Dunn for an air conditioner sale. So they had a little stage set up on top, way up on top of this, this boxcar. And I can tell you getting a guitar up that ladder on top of that thing was a real feat. We got up there and we played, I think all the people that were there, I think both people really enjoyed what we did. <laughs> there weren't many folks out there in the, in the hot of the day watching four, you know, three kids playing on top of a box, of a box car. But 
I got hooked and kind of went from there, you know, playing little sock hops, uh, you know, at our uh, high school hut, you know, where after the football games, we had a little, you know, a little rock band. We played Beatles stuff and just have fun. The football players would be too banged up to, to dance or even come. So we kind of had the pick of the litter. You know, that's when I realized again how important music is. <laughs> that, that, that's a great story. I'm glad it worked for you. It did. It did. I found my wife in 1971 at Appalachian State. She had come to hear T. Michael Coleman, who also ended up with, uh, was in the band I was with. We were doing a duo and she came to the coffee house and I saw her and I said, whoa, man. Who is that? And I asked around, said, well, she's a, a freshman from Miami, Florida. And we didn't have a whole lot of Miami people at App State back then. <laughs> but uh, I knew she was a freshman and she had to be in either one of two dorms. And I had a sock full of dimes. So I just started calling each floor. You know, go to the <laughs> door. <laughs> in Miami on this floor. And finally I found her. And I said, I'm that cute little guitar player you saw Friday night. Oh, hey, would you like to go out? She said, I'd love to. So. We've been together ever since, and we'll be celebrating. Well, been together 50 years now, uh, 46 years marriage, and, and this coming July. So it's just been such a gift. She's my rider. We we go together everywhere. I don't do any trips without her anymore. Uh, she it kind of manages me out there, takes care of things that you know I might not want to take care of. You know, merchandise or you know just getting the schedules right of when you need to be where. And uh, she's just you know. She's as tired as I am today from being at Merle Fest for four days, but hooked up with so many old friends. Just wonderful. Just great. That's, uh, that's, yeah. fa that's fantastic. Uh, congratulations, first of all, on, on, Richard, on Richard, yeah, yeah, you know, it's a struggle. I mean, it's, it's just saying I do, don't make it, but I didn't say, I think I do. I said, I do. And I will. And, uh, you know, there are ups and downs and, you got to be friends before you can be anything else. You got to really respect that person. And now at our age, you know, it's, we're starting to take care of each other. Oh, <laughs> make sure your pants are zipped. Make sure your blouse is buttoned. Uh, <laughs> and, and other things, you know, that old people tend to do sometimes. Don't, don't think about it. Uh, but you know, she's become just a tremendous cheerleader of mine. I gave up music back in the mid 80s. Um, just because I was on the road all the time and it was no longer fun being away. I just had a daughter. So I had a son that was three and a, and a new daughter. And I was in Key West doing six weeks down there with a group. And I just said, man, I'm done. I'm coming home. Uh, so I wanted to make sure those kids called me daddy instead of somebody else. Cause you know, it, it's just hard to maintain a relationship when she's doing all the work back home. And we didn't have heat and air conditioning, so she was running on a wood stove and, you know, teaching school and raising kids. So I made the right move, got out of it and, you know, still played, still play my guitar every day, but um, got out of it for the right reasons, I think. And now I'm really, I'm, I'm so much better now than I was back then. And I'm a big believer in, you know, going to seminars. Uh, there's so many great tools, Richard, that that you can use to become a better player. And I'd mentioned Martin Simpson earlier. I know at one point, you know, he, he had, you know, did some guitars with Santa Cruz and uh, he's just, he's probably my favorite player. The way he plays his right hand, the open tunings, the, it's almost banjo-y the way he plays. But I heard 
a great guitarist in, in uh, St. Augustine named Sam Pacetti, who's a tremendous player. And uh, he was doing a thing called Shawnee Town. He said, well, that's, that's a Martin Simpson uh, arrangement of this, this old tune about the Ohio River, a little town called Shawnee Town down on the eastern point of Illinois. And I said, I don't know what it is, but that's how I want to play the guitar. After all these years, I'm ready to change. So I was lucky enough uh, when Doc passed in 2012, Nancy Covey, who at the time was married to Richard Thompson, and I knew Nancy back from McCabe's days down at Santa Monica when she was, you know, booking the acts there at McCabe's. And uh, we had done a tour with her as a producer. And when Doc passed away, you know, we'd been in touch over the years, but she said she was going to come to, to Boone for the funeral. And I said, well, don't book a room. You know, I've, I've got a friend who's going to lend me his pilot and plane. I'm going to fly in Sunday. I had to play Saturday night. But I'll get in touch with a good friend of mine who will pick you up at the airport in Charlotte, wherever, unless you want to rent a car. But you can stay with her. She's got a nice place. I've already spoken to her. She said she would love to have you. And that way you've kind of got an introduction uh, of not knowing anybody there. And uh, we were talking and I said, Damn, Richard, I'm getting ready to go to a camp, uh, one of Yorma's camps uh, with Pierre Bensusson, who I absolutely love his playing. And she says, matter of fact, uh, this year in July in 2012, Richard's got a camp in Big Indian, New York, uh, called Frets and Refrains. Would you be interested in coming? I said, oh, God, yeah. And also, he said, but also we have instructor Martin Simpson, which, I mean, that was it for me. Not only would I get to, you know, sit down and listen to him and talk to him and uh, eventually just become great friends. Uh, but, you know, just experience better players, you know, top of the food chain for me. Sean Colvin also was at the first camp, which I think is a tremendous songwriter and uh, really good songwriting uh, instructor. Gives you a lot of ideas of how to further, you know, just an idea into, you know, something that would be viable to play or record. So these camps have just been great. I'm going to, I'm not going back to frets and refrains this year, but I'm going down to uh, uh, Sanibel, Florida, in September to uh, one of your McAlkinen's uh, satellite, you know, week long, he's either up in Pomeroy, Ohio, but he does two weeks in Florida and he's instructing one in September, which I'm going to go to, which, you know, I've always liked the, you know, I kind of look at it as primitive finger style playing, you know, although it's not primitive, it's really hard to do. Uh, Gary Davis, uh, Blind Blake, uh, Yorma, uh, happy, you know, to an extent. But, you know, sitting down with him for a week and, and you know, learning from him the best. And I, I've met uh, Yorma uh, numerous times at Merle Fest when he would play there and we, you know, would have breakfast together or, you know, spend a little bit of time. But I'm really looking forward to spending a week and just, you know, at 71, I'm, I'm still grateful to, to have a body that still does it. I had carpal tunnel on my right hand surgery release about two years ago which scared me to death because I remember I did some touring with uh, Leo Kotke back in the eighties with Jack Lawrence. We were his supporting act on some shows. And I know the problem he went through with carpal tunnel. And uh, I mean, it, it screwed his hand up, you know, for years. And it, naturally it, I didn't realize that it had come so far, you know, with a, uh, a, a scope tool now that, you know, it's roughly an eight minute surgery bruises you, but only a couple of stitches. But Lord, I was playing uh, the next day for a few minutes, you know, just making sure everything 
would still do what it would do and it didn't hurt. And uh, so other than that, you know, at 71, I'm singing better than I've ever sang. I mean, I feel like I'm finally learning, learning the phrasing. You know, I listen to a lot of Sinatra. If you listen to Sinatra, you're going to learn how to phrase a song. And to me, that's what sells it. Uh, Daryl Scott, I saw Saturday, is one of the best at relating us, you know, the song through, you know, his vocals. I mean, not only does he have a great vocal range but, and incredibly gifted skills on the piano, guitars, you know, just about anything. And he plays piano like Larry Nectel did from the, from the Wrecking Crew, like on Bridge Over Troubled Water. He started his set Saturday uh, with a gospel tune. I know his dad was a minister, but I swear you'd think Larry Nectel would come back from the grave was up there playing that piano but it was just phenomenal you hear good stuff and you know i, I got up about 5 30 this morning after driving yesterday spent three hours with a guitar you know it's just what you do you know i couldn't wait to get out of the car and start playing and just glad i can that's that first of all your your desire to continue to keep learning and and it, you know i, I think I know I've just started studying with somebody in the past year. Right. And it's, it's intense, you know, and I thought I was, I thought I was okay, mm -hmm. you know, and he's taken me down about, you know, 45 pegs. And, right. and, and yet I realize every time I pick up an instrument that I'm hearing or re I'm relating what I'm learning. Right. Every time I play. Mm -hmm. and boy that's satisfying absolutely it's it's everything i mean it's yeah. it's why I up in the morning yeah it, it, are you teaching now or <laughs> excuse me i no longer teach i just really don't have the time and i couldn't teach uh, row 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 your boat or uh, those things to beginners anymore it just <clears throat> i did have some advanced students that truly got it you know as a teacher I'm aware that roughly 80% of the people that pick up a guitar today is not going to be playing it within six months. They're just not. <clears throat> they don't realize the pain, especially to your left fingers, you know, the pads until the, uh, until you pad up good calluses, you know, where, where your soft skin is until you get that, it's going to hurt every time you pick it up. It just does. And, you know, just tell them if you, if you, if you love it enough, you'll do it. And if you don't, you won't, and you'll find something else to do with your life. But, I've had I've had two that have really stuck it out. One got a really great uh, full ride to Belmont and Nashville, and she's a recording artist now and tremendous player, singer, writer. Uh, so proud of uh, of Kaylee. She's she really took it. She had she had the desire. You know, you could look at her and uh, and know you know that fire in her eyes of you know I want to learn more. How do you do that? What's going on here? She just you know it wasn't just. Well, I can see you didn't practice since last week. Well, no, but I played a lot of Guitar Hero. So well, that really doesn't count when it comes to the real guitar. So a lot of frustration in teaching, i got to say. I, I'm intrigued. When you come back from a place like Merle Fest and you, you sit down and you say you play guitar for three hours, do you have a routine that you normally go through when you sit down and play? Or were you just trying to run through everything that you were remembering? Or, I mean... I, I a just, couple of things like that, Tad. Yeah, there were some songs, uh, a couple of things that I heard. I'm a big fan of the Wood Brothers. I don't know whether they're big out there. Uh, Oliver Wood and Chris Wood. Uh, 
they did a great set Friday. I knew Oliver from a band he was in from Atlanta called King Johnson, which was the best unsigned band that never got to be big as far as I'm concerned. They were they were a cross between the band mixed in with the Tower of Power. Horn section, but absolutely some of the grittiest, just great songs. I mean, just like, you know, they wrote with the band back then. And but I saw Oliver, I haven't seen him in a while. He, hey Valdosta. I said, Yes, sir, man. Good to see you, brother. <laughs> and they played some things. Uh that I said, well, let me I was watching his hand. He plays an old guild, uh, electric. Uh, and uh this the guitar is like an old friend. In fact, let me tell you one thing that happened there that really was cool. When Doc and Merle both were gone, there were numerous guitars, including uh like a 57 gold top Les Paul, a lot of really nice guitars that just kind of disappeared. No pointing fingers, no, they, they were just, they were just gone. And I remember Merle had a Gallagher G40 and there, I think there were only two or three of those made. And Merle's daughter, Karen, who I absolutely adore, naturally his son Richard uh, passed away back in 2013, but, uh, Karen found the old G40 in the Mark Leaf case. And they had it at the Gallagher, uh, you know, at the booth, the Gallagher booth. And got new people running Gallagher now and are just doing an incredible job with these guitars. And uh, word was sent to me, they got something over Gallagher you might want to see. So I went over there and sure enough, man, opened up that Mark Leaf case and there was that G40. Merle had taken a rose stick on embroidery type thing, you know, gum side and put it right under the G. And we were all like, well, why would you do that? I mean, God, this thing's beautiful. But it was right there. And it was so I, I, I get choked up. It was like seeing an old friend that, that I hadn't seen. And the ghost was back. Then he handed me the guitar, and just embraced it, played a song and just had to stop. But very emotional to see that guitar that I haven't seen since his death in 85. Uh, guitars are such magic things. And there's something inside every one of them. Sometimes it takes a while to find what it is, the sounds. Uh, and you guys make superb guitars. I got a 12 fret uh, Eric Sky, and I wish it had suited my hand better. My left, I've got little bitty hands and it, I never could get used to the neck but it absolutely one of the best sounding guitars I've ever had. And my hat's off to Mr. Hoover. You guys make some of the best guitars in the world. Well, and that's you know, hard. You can speak to Mr. Hoover about that neck problem. <laughs> he can make one that, uh, you know, will suit you perfectly. And we'd love to have you out here. <laughs> this, time, this time I'll go out to the 13 frets. I've got a 13 fret and I know Happy just had a 13 fret and that thing is incredible. I think I, that extra fret, you know, I do use a capo, you know, for positioning and, and using chords that I like notes within. So I think I'd move on out to the 13th fret or maybe the 14th. But, uh, yeah, I can see a Santa Cruz in my future. And I still use your strings. Best string ever. Are you using the low tensions or the mediums? Mediums. And and what about, um, have you tried the dadgad? Have you tried the drop tuning? Oh God, yeah! I use Dad Gad, Dad Fad. Uh, no, I mean, drum. have you have you tried the strings? They, they no, just, I didn't know there was any. Yeah, they just released they, them. They just released. What? We'll get you some. Oh, I gotta have that because I use 
probably 80% of my show are in either C suspended two, dad, gad, you know, open G with a low C note. You know, there's just so many tunings. And if you use open tunes, I talk to a lot of people who don't use them. And they say, man, how do you do that? And I immediately tell them I practice tuning the guitar. When I'm working through a set, when I knew what I was doing, I knew that I'd be going from first song I did in one set was a, a drop D. I did V's Wing by Richard Thompson and then up to standard tuning for a new tune I wrote uh, about uh, a dream I had where blind Willie McTell and Hank Williams showed up out at my fire pit outside and just hanging around. <laughs> but from there, you know, down to a, a C suspended two. So, you know, that is C, G, C, G, C, D, the D suspended note. Uh, so I spent almost as much time practicing how quick can I get there uh, to where I'm not looking at a tune or I want to hear it. I want to hear it, you know, because especially if there's a major third in it, like in an open D tuning, I'm going to hear it one way. Richard's going to hear it another way. Martin Simpson will hear it a different way. That major third is just kind of like the B string on a guitar. You know, it's just never quite where it needs to be for all of them. So you just kind of practice it. But if people are are doing open tunings, practice going from one tuning to another once you've decided what you're going to play and what tunings you're going to use, because it really helped me. I mean, I was there, you know, 40 seconds, I was retuned to another tune. And uh, that's important, especially when you're on stage with Peter Rowan and, and Sam Bush and Jerry Douglas. I mean, people like that. I don't want to be sitting there fiddling with those knobs for, you know, a minute. It's got to be under a minute ready to fly. So, I, I really admire the guys who are able to be on stage, tune their guitar to an alternate tuning, and talk to the audience at the same time. You've got to do that. Skill. That's juggling cats. <laughs> and and, and, and you've got to have good fresh strings, too. Strings yeah. have got to be you. Well, and talking about all things. these tunings and such, uh, is it... How many guitars do you have and how many does your wife think you have? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, the last guitar I got was maybe three months ago. I don't know whether you're familiar with uh, Jason Romero. He's a banjo builder up in Horsefly, British Columbia. But he and his wife, Ferris, are an incredible duo, kind of like Gillian Welch and, uh, and David Rawlings. But he makes what a lot of people consider the best banjo you can buy. Now to get one of Jason Romero's banjos twice a year, he'll have a lottery and you put your money up front, you get on this list. Mm -hmm. And if your name is picked or your number is picked, he makes a specific number. Now, right now, if I ordered or, you know, I, I wanted banjo, it would be 11 years before I got it. So I knew, and he had, they had a really bad fire up there in 2016 uh, Martin Simpson kind of turned me on to to the Romeros and what they do, you know, what they play and what they build. And uh, I know he was building some resonators uh, back in before the fire in 2016. He no longer builds those. They just, you know, he doesn't have the time, you know, with everything else that's going on. They also tour and they're absolutely incredible. Uh, but I found a 2015 uh, resonator. Uh, out in Seattle. I, I always am doing a search on Romero Resonator and finding one popped up that wasn't already sold that I've never seen a guitar like it. It is, it's uh, all maple, but it's almost tiger striped uh, the way they shade, the way he shaded it. 
and the neck and it, it almost looks like a Stradivarius the way they've done it. But I showed it to numerous people at Merle Fest and they were absolutely fascinated. One guy said, I don't know how you got that Romero, but you know, I certainly would not get rid of it, but you know, you just you run into things like that. But I think right now I've got eight guitars, uh, but I mainly, I use a maiden on stage because of the electronics, <clears throat> their systems, you know, it's a plug in and play. Uh, I know there are a lot of great systems, you know, the old days, Barkus Berry really about, about the best we had back then before FRAP came out. But, uh, you know, you, on stage, you're going to hear what the electronics sound like. I've heard Tommy Emanuel talk about that uh, and said, yeah, you're not really hearing my guitar. You're hearing the electronics that's, you know, that's vibrating through this into the speaker. So you're, you know, the, Electronics are really important, you know, for a stage guitar. So I use a, a Maiden Messiah, a little small-bodied guitar that it's just great. We're uh, we're seeing more and more and more small bodies. Um, we did an interview a couple of weeks ago with Charlie Ra, right, out of New York, and his stuff is just tiny. I mean, the instruments are just literally tiny. Right. And they're really voiced big. Um, yeah. And it's a lot easier to carry around. It's easier. For me. I'm, I kind of feel like, you know, COVID-19, I think all the 19 is between my, my belly button and my below my breast area, 19 pounds that I've gained during this COVID-19 thing. And again, it's like playing an ovation. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I was a jumbo guy for years. I still got an old Guild F50. Uh, from 75, you know, it's just so pretty now. It was Gil's answer to the J200 that, that Gibson had. And Graham Parsons, I was a really big fan of Brewer and Shipley. Uh, and they all played these F50s. And I just, I had to have one. But I mean, I look like a midget, you know, with a with a guitar. Thing is still huge and I still have it. And it's still a great guitar. They weigh about 40 pounds too, don't they? Absolutely. It is, yeah, it's plywood. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah, heavy, heavy, yeah, great. Bonnie Bonnie Raitt plays one. Um, she does, yes, she sure does. A lot of a lot of them around there. They're the they're the they're the guild you want to have. Absolutely, and you know, Richie Havens, a huge fan of Richie's too. Yeah, uh, was always a guild guy. Yeah, he uh, the only uh, I I kind of grew up in a town west of Chicago, and the only guitar store we had, the only mm -hmm. line they had was Guild. Right, you know. You know, so my first one was an M20 that, oh, yeah. that uh, I waited, you know, six weeks for, you know, and, yeah. and you know, I was just, uh, I'd go down, downstairs to the store every day, you know, is it here yet? Is it here yet? You know, but. Was that the model Nick Drake had on one of his albums? Pink yeah. 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 It, 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 I thought it was a really nice sounding guitar. But it was small, and I thought, well, I can't play a small guitar. I'm I'm kind of a big guy, and, I, and so is Tad. And I I couldn't I couldn't play it. No, I'd look silly playing that thing. You know, <laughs> I'm like, I wish I had it now. Yeah. But, <laughs> um. Well, you answered a whole bunch of questions about about strings and capos and slides mm -hmm. and and how you how you amplify on stage i know it's a a big thing right now everybody's working around one microphone and and yeah. you know that's that's I, personally i 
I think it's a really amazing way to do it. But there are times when it, a microphone up there is just trouble. Absolutely. And, you know, most of the places I play are small places. I've, I've got a, a Ear Trumpet Labs Edwina that I like a lot. I, I saw uh, the Milk Carton kids maybe three years ago at uh, Merlefest. And uh, the, one of the guys from uh, Ear Trumpets was there and he really liked the way I sang. Would you be interested in a in an Edwina? I said, "Oh Lord, yeah." You know, it wasn't a gift, but it was. I got a really good deal on one, and it is an extraordinary microphone. And it, although I still use you know my electronics on the guitar, it still picks up acoustically too. You know, from that mic, if I got it right where it needs to be. But yeah, you got to be careful because it picks up everything else around you too. Charlie, Charlie, Charlie was using one of those for recording, um, and I did a bunch of stuff with Jamie Stillway, and we mm -hmm. had we had two of them. You yeah. know, they they were really incredible sounding microphones. I'd like to get like to get my hands on one. They, uh, they uh, Jerry uses one too for his dobro. Yeah, they just don't show up. You know, yeah, they're kind of hard to find. Yeah. Desert Island music. Say that again. Desert Island music. If you, oh, cool. If, Desert Island. If, yeah, uh, five. You can take five records. Leonard Cohen's first album, Songs of Leonard Cohen, uh, Sounds of Silence, Simon and Garfunkel. Doc Watson's first album, just Doc Watson. Um, that's Joni Mitchell's first album, Song to a Seagull. Uh, that's four. And. Uh, there's got to be a Sinatra in there. <laughs> Any of the best. <laughs> it was a very good year. Absolutely extraordinary song. First time I heard it was the uh, Kingston Trio doing it. But when, when Sinatra did it, he did it old enough in life to where you knew he went through each one of these phases. Of, and now, you know, my life's, life's like wine, you know, poured from the dregs. And... Uh, yeah, anything by Sinatra, anything by, I'm a huge fan of Blind Willie McTell, too. I, I really love Thompson George's Willie McTell. Uh, I, I got to have a blues one in there somewhere. So I'm going to say John Hurt, you know, John Hurt Today, I think is a great record. There's one of my cats coming up and say, hi, this is Levon Elvis. Hey, Levon. <laughs> Good name. And Levon Costello and, and, of course, Levon Helm. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we missed, uh, Tad's got his, uh, I don't know if Pepper's there. Hey, Pepper. Pepper's wandering around here somewhere. I gave, I gave her an extra, extra spoonful of the uh, wet food to make sure that she'd be very happy and hopefully uh, stay somewhere to sleep. <laughs> well, there's Thackeray Binks. We got a black cat we adopted about two years ago, called him Binks, of course, from Hocus Pocus. He's up here on the cast. They were glad to see us yesterday. We oh, put I, them in the five days, you know, to make sure they were taken care of. And they're glad to get back. Glad we were back. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, it, I don't know. My ex-wife had, had, had a cat and <laughs> thinks 20 pounds and slept between my legs every night. You know, as far up between my legs as he could get. So oh, I'm, I'm a little cat phobic on that. But, um, boy, they, they're so... Cat. Yeah, they get so they're, they're so aloof. And then all of a sudden you, you go away from them for a few days and they're your best friends. So 
short memories, I guess. I don't yeah. know. So um, how much time do you spend on the road these days? I mean, uh, not much. I, I do uh, some shows in Florida. We've got a condo down in Cortez, Florida, which is over on the West Coast, uh, over near Sarasota, which I like that. I've got about four places I play down there. Most of what I do is local stuff. Uh, I do not like the road. You know, I've been offered to do some things with other people. And I've just chosen not to do it. Uh, you know, I just driving all day yesterday and getting back, you know, I don't have to go anywhere. I've got a couple of local gigs the next two weeks and then going down to Florida to play a couple of things, you know, around the town, you know, where we have the condo. So sometimes I'll do five gigs in a week and sometimes I'll do one gig in five weeks. You know, it just depends on what I'm interested in doing and, and kind of what I'm doing if I'm working on music. And again, right now, I'm not playing music for other people. I'm playing it for me at, at my age of writing things that probably will never get heard. I'm going to start a new project in June uh, down in Florida. I've got some new things I'd like to record. Uh, but it's, it's kind of a me now thing to where I don't have to do what Jerry and Sam and Peter and these guys, God bless them for doing what they do. I couldn't do that. Or, or Richard Thompson, he's gone all the time. Mm. And uh, that's just, that's not what I want to do now. I don't have to do it. You know, financially, I don't have to get out and do it. So that, that that's wonderful. That's I'm blessed. Blessed. Yeah. That that that's wonderful. Um, what do you think the best piece of advice you ever got was? What would you give? Probably, uh, when Paul McCartney told me never to name drop. <laughs> I stole that from Richard Thompson. <laughs> Great advice. Um, I've heard. <laughs> well, you know, I always make sure you're in tune before you hit the first chord. Um, you know, if you if you got you depend on the the degree of what you're playing. If I'm playing a pizza parlor, and there's nothing wrong with playing pizza parlors. That's where one of my favorite songwriters, Paul Thorne, was found in a pizza parlor in Tupelo, Mississippi. Uh, wherever you're playing, play like, if there are only two people there, play to them. You never know, one of them might be somebody like Michael O'Mardian, who heard Christopher Cross, you know, the story I heard in uh, some Holiday Inn Lounge, and just said, geez, I know you're a great guitar player, you know, from some studio work in LA, but I had no idea, you know, you need to record these things. So you never know who's listening. Uh, take every gig seriously. If you drink, don't drink till you finish playing. Nobody wants to see a drunk stumbling around up there and, and acting stupid. You know, nobody wants to see that. Uh, so, you know, prepare your shows no matter what they are. Uh, make sure you're in tune. And if you can't warm up, you know, Pick, you know, some of the easier stuff to start with. You know, don't start in on something. You know, like I think uh, uh, Swing is an extremely complicated hand, uh, right-hand song just because of the, the triplicates that's in it. So, you know, unless you're warmed up, you don't want to start with something that's really going to tax your hands or your voice. Kind of ease into it. And let me, if I could say, well, I saw Paul Simon on his farewell tour. It's the only time I ever saw him. And never got to meet him. We were playing in uh, 
New York at a place called the Bottom Line, and I thought I saw Paul Simon. And I gushed, went over to him and introduced myself. You know, he was there to hear us play. And he said, no, I'm Eddie. I'm Paul's brother. I'm the nice one. You really don't want to meet that son of a bitch. <laughs> I left. But I saw Paul on in uh, Tampa on the last leg of his tour, and he started the night out with America by himself with, a, I think, a 12-string maybe. And I was about to cry 30 seconds into it that it was so bad he couldn't hit the notes he just he was not prepared to start that show off with that song and I turned to my wife and said this just absolutely breaks my heart and within two songs he was great he got into some things from uh uh from you know later on and it was a great show but he picked the wrong song to start with I thought so you know, picking the right one to, to get your feet wet, I think is really, really important, no matter where, where you're playing, if that makes sense. That's amazing. And that, 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 that's a um, tremendous, tremendous advice. It, it, it's just all respect for the audience. Absolutely. If you don't respect them, they're sure not going to respect you back. You know? That's, that's, do you do anything outside of music? Uh, well, I sold caskets for 18 years. <laughs> <laughs> for Batesville Casket Company, it was, it was a great job. And I really enjoyed, you know, going from music to taking the earrings out, coat and tie, uh, meeting funeral directors and funeral service industry people who are, I mean, there's calls to doing what they do as ministers are called to the, to the altar it's you know it's a hard job it's it's a job with a lot of tears uh but when i got out of it i was glad i was kind of taking me away from all this death thing when i retired from it and i did really well with them and made made good put away money uh right now i, I live in the same town with my son who's an extremely good guitar player i played in a band with him down here for about set, uh, about five years he was with us so we get together and play every now and again, uh, but I've got a daughter that lives here with her husband and a son lives here with his wife and my granddaughter, Caroline, who I love dearly. So a lot of what I do is just, mostly what I do now is play. If I'm sitting down, now my wife and I have taken different bedrooms. At our age, we know where each other sleeps, but I'm insomniac to the nth degree. Thank God for Benadryl. I can take two and have a really good night's sleep. Although the dreams are somewhat funky, but I like that. It's kind of like getting on a bus, knowing where you're going when you close your eyes. Uh, but, you know, I do like to get up in the morning. If I've got, you know, something that's coming up that is going to take my attention, you know, like Merle Fest. You know, I spend a lot of time working on what I'm going to do, uh, making sure the other musicians know what, you know, this is the part of the show. These are the tunes I'm doing. These are the keys uh, you can listen to. You know, Tom Jones doing Tower of Song. It's, it's along that line. Uh, but I spend a lot of time playing it and practicing and doing the songs over and over, working on the tunings, making sure that I can seamlessly go from song to song to where when I walk off stage, I can say, yep, I did, I, I did all I could for it. And uh, so that's, I'm, just, I'm just really centered music right now, completely. How and wonderful. I love how, it. I'm how, so blessed. How wonderful. Ted? Uh, yeah, no, I, you know, I, I'm impressed with, with 
just how seriously you take music when there's an awful lot of other people I, I've played with or, or met or talked to who they're very much into the fun of it and, mm -hmm. and everything else. Uh, but I think that you've pretty much nailed it, that if you really want to do it, it's, it's a question of really working um, at it. Uh, you've got to really do it. Yeah. yeah. You've got to decide. And uh, again, you know, coming back to the camps, I, I heard Martin Simpson talk about that. You know, if you're taking it to, which I was one of the only people in the class that were a, a performance level musician. Uh, but, you know, he just made the point of, you know, if you're going to entertain people with what you're doing, you need to be prepared to entertain them. You know, tuning, step comes a wife. Hey, baby, say hi. Hi. Yeah, down in here. How are you? We're good. How are you? Hi. We're nice way over you. here. <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Gotcha. Nice to meet you. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> She's been with granddaughter. That's the best. Absolutely. Oh, man. We just, yeah. That's that. That's the best, Joe. It it took a while for us to get connected, and I'm so glad we did. I, I, Me too, Richard. What Excellent. a what Completely a what, best. Yeah, it, what a wonderful what a wonderful um, experience. I, I I you know you you never really know going into these things what's going to come out, and sure. yeah, and uh, boy, your sincerity and your respect and dedication and everything for this for this wonderful gift oh, it's wonderful yep and it's yeah. a gift i don't take it lightly and i thank god every night for it like old dan will be morning noon and night i'll thank him for things i got so it's good well I, yeah. I i look forward to you coming out here to the west coast maybe spend a little time with uh the maestro, Mr. Hoover, and uh, oh, talk to him about those modifications you need made to uh, Eric Sky. We can uh, uh, get him some. We should try to try to get him some work right. out here. There we go. I'm sorry. Try to get you some work out here. Bring you out. Make it. Make it. Make it worth your time. I really enjoy house concerts. Before COVID, I was staying pretty busy with those uh, Chapel Hill, you know, up to North Carolina, and. It, they're really interesting. I tell a lot of stories uh, about songwriters. Uh, I don't just do folk type stuff. I'm a huge Drifters fan. Uh, what the Drifters did back in New York, back when Doc Thomas, you know, was writing a lot of music for people like them and Elvis. Uh, but that that genre of music is just it works great in an, in a single acoustic open tune guitar. Man, you can do a lot of great stuff on it. But uh, you know, my shows can include Sinatra, Drifters, Elvis. Uh, you know, I can do a whole night of originals. You know, I do a whole set of Simon and Garfunkel or uh, Leonard Cohen, the Beatles. I do a lot of Beatles things, open tune, kind of like the way uh, Richie Havens, you know, took a Beatles tune and and turned it and then just turned it into just something entirely different than than what they did. And that's what's fun. If you're not writing a song today, arrange something. You know, find something. Well, keep moving keep those feet going here to the bay area i guarantee you i got a place for you to play and i would love to arrange it so let us know I if would you make love it that. out here oh, crack up that car honey we're going to california <laughs> Beverly Hillbillies. yeah we got it 
We got to get you on the got to get you on our radio station, our local radio station. We have K Pig, which yeah. was literally the first con- station in the country to stream. Right. But they have been solid Americana for forever, and awesome. before COVID, they they did a live Sunday show mm-hmm. every Sunday, ten to twelve. Right. Um, they think they did 1100 of them and covid kind of shut it all down because the studio the studio is the size of a gas station um uh cash registers uh area you know that's about as big as the studio is and so it it, it's it it was a little too close for everything to do but it gets you out here and and oh yeah and studios loretti and do used to go to my old loretta lynn was a girl loretti Oh yeah, just you know, but it was on the radio. That's great. You know, it's on the radio, and 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 that's what it was about. Um, I, I really appreciate. Um, stay on just a little bit afterwards. Um, and uh, but I really can't can't thank you enough for giving up your time today and um, your sharing. Really, 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 your heart, Richard. Thank you so much, Tad. Thank you so much, my friend. We plan a trip out west. I'm going to get with you. We'll line up some dates. <laughs> I absolutely would enjoy that. Thank you so much for spending a little time with us. And I hope awesome. to meet you in person. We're going to do that. Perfect. Sounds good. Thanks Y'all a lot. Have a, Thank you. have a great day. Thank Bye. you, Richard. Bye, Ted. We hope you enjoyed this installment of the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. For more music-related fun, please join the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at S-C-G-C-P-F or SantaCruzGuitarPlayers.com. If you have any questions or possible podcast topics, please contact us. If you have a product or service that you feel would be of value to our listeners, please consider adding your support and keeping the coffee pot on. Contact us for more information. We ask that you hit the like, follow, bell, or bookmark buttons so we can keep you informed of upcoming podcast episodes. We hope you enjoyed Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Now it's time to go play your guitar.